Chapter 9, Part 1 of the American Language. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The American Language by H. L. Mencken. Chapter 9, Miscellanea, Part 1. Proverb and Platitude. No people, save perhaps the Spaniards, have a richer store of proverbial wisdom than the Americans, and surely none other make more diligent and deliberate efforts to augment its riches. The American literature of inspirational platitude is enormous and almost unique. There are half a dozen authors, e.g. Dr. Orison Sweat Marden and Dr. Frank Crane, who devote themselves exclusively and to vast profit to the composition of arresting and uplifting apothems, and the fruits of their fancy are not only sold in books, but also displayed upon an infinite variety of calendars, banners, and wall cards. It is rarely that one enters the office of an American businessman without encountering at least one of these wall cards. It may, on the one hand, show nothing save a succinct caution that time is money, say, do it now, or this is my busy day. On the other hand, it may embody a long and complex sentiment, ornately set forth. The taste for such canned sagacity seems to have arisen in America at a very early day. Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac, begun in 1732, remained a great success for 25 years, and the annual sales reached 10,000. It had many imitators, and founded an aphoristic style of writing which culminated in the essays of Emerson, often mere strings of sonorous certainties, defectively articulated. The proverbial philosophy of Martin Faker Tupper, dawning upon the American public in the early forties, was welcomed with enthusiasm. As Saintsbury says, its success on this side of the Atlantic even exceeded its success on the other. But that was the last, and perhaps the only, importation of the sage and mellifluous in bulk. In late years, the American production of such merchandise has grown so large that the balance of trade now flows in the other direction. Visiting Denmark, Germany, Switzerland, France, and Spain in the spring of 1917, I found translations of the chief works of Dr. Marden on sale in all those countries, and with them the masterpieces of such other apostles of the new thought as ralph waldo trine and elizabeth town no other american books were half so well displayed the note of all such literature and of the maxims that precipitate themselves from it is optimism they inspire by voicing and revoicing the new thought doctrine that all things are possible to the man who thinks the right sort of thoughts in the national phrase to the right thinker this right thinker is indistinguishable from the forward looker, whose belief in the continuity and benignity of the evolutionary process takes on the virulence of a religious faith. Out of his confidence come the innumerable saws, axioms, and gelfugelte worte. It is the national arsenal, ranging from the it-won't-hurt-none-to-try to the great masses of the plain people to such exhilarating confections of the wall-card virtuosi as the elevator to success is not running take the stairs naturally enough a grotesque humor plays about this literature of hope the folk though it moves them prefer it with a dash of salt 
Smile, damn you, smile, is a typical specimen of this seasoned optimism. Many examples of it go back to the early part of the last century. For instance, don't monkey with the buzzsaw, and it will never get well if you pick it. Others are patently modern, e.g., the Lord is my shepherd, I should worry, and roll over, you're on my back. The national talent for extravagant and pungent humor is well displayed in many of these maxims. It would be difficult to match in any other folk literature such examples as, I'd rather have them say, there he goes, than here he lies. Or, don't spit, remember the Johnstown flood. Or, shoot it in the arm, your legs full. Or, cheer up, there ain't no hell. Or, if you want to cure homesickness, go back home. Many very popular phrases and proverbs are borrowings from above. Few die and none resign, originated with Thomas Jefferson. Bret Hart, I believe, was the author of No Checky, No Shirty. General W.T. Sherman is commonly credited with War as Hell, and Mark Twain with Life is One Damn Thing After Another, an elaborate and highly characteristic proverb of the uplifting variety. So live that you can look any man in the eye and tell him to go to hell was first given currency by one of the engineers of the Panama Canal. A gentleman later retired, it would seem, for attempting to execute his own counsel. From humor, the transition to cynicism is easy, and so many of the current sayings are at war with the optimism of the majority. Kick him again, he's down, is a depressing example. What's the use? A rough translation of the Latin qui bono is another. The same spirit is visible in Tell Your Troubles to a Policeman. How'd you like to be the Iceman? Some say she do, and some say she don't. Nobody loves a fat man. I love my wife, but oh you, kid. And would you for fifty cents? The last originated in the ingenious mind of an advertisement writer and was immediately adopted. In the course of time it acquired naughty significance and helped to give a start to the amazing button craze of ten or twelve years ago. The Saturnalia of proverb and phrase which finally aroused the guardians of the public morals and was put down by the police. That neglect which marks the study of the Vulgate generally extends to the subject of popular proverb-making. The English publisher Frank Palmer prints an excellent series of little volumes presenting the favorite proverbs of all civilized races, including the Chinese and Japanese, and there is no American volume among them. Even such exhaustive collections as that of Robert Christie contain no American specimens, not even Don't Monkey with the Buzzsaw or Root, Hog, and Die. End of chapter 9, part 1.